Hello and welcome back to the Audience Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Hewitt from Castos. This episode, I have a special treat for everybody. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation with the team from the Ladybug Podcast. The three co-hosts of the Ladybug Podcast, Emma, Allison, and Kelly, are uh, women in tech and female founders, entrepreneurs, and consultants that talk a lot about technical things, programming, web, design, and kind of entrepreneurship and have grown a really successful podcast in a very short amount of time. We talk in this episode a lot about the importance of personal brands and using that as a a tool and a point of leverage to grow a podcast audience. Things like social media, networking, and, and using an existing audience to grow a podcast audience directly. This episode was was really interesting for me. It's the first time I've interviewed three people at once, and I hope that uh, that it doesn't come off too rough. But it is an interesting thing and a bit of a challenge for anybody that that hasn't done this yet. We we actually talk in the episode about about some of the unique challenges that having three guests on at once uh, provides. So for anybody that's done this a lot, you probably feel my pain there a bit. But I, I really really enjoyed uh, this episode. It was really inspiring for me. To think about my personal brand, you know, because you have you have your brand of your business or your organization that you're always trying to build. But I think a lot of us discount the importance of your personal brand and how that ties into your your business, your organization's brand. And I think Emma, Allison, and Kelly do a really good job of bringing those two together in a very uh, cohesive and genuine way. So I hope you enjoyed this episode with the gals from the Ladybug Podcast. Can y'all share kind of who you are and and what your podcast is about a bit? Hi, I'm Emma Boston. I'm a software engineer at LogMeIn. I'm Allie Spittle. I teach people how to code at General Assembly, which is a coding boot camp. And I'm Kelly Vaughn. I run a Shopify Plus agency, and we all do this podcast. And the podcast is... Ladybug podcast, right? And you are all kind of in tech and developers talking to people that are in tech and are developers. Is that right? Yeah, I think our mantra was like code and career conversations, mainly because of the alliteration, but also because we discuss code and career. We just enjoy bantering with each other, to be honest. And we do bring on guests to help teach us about topics that we don't know well enough. I don't know. What do y'all think? What's your take on, like, what is our podcast for? I think it's just for fun, to be honest, just to talk about tech. I think it's for me to learn from all of you because I feel like even even in the episodes we record where it's, you know, the highly technical topics, I'm basically letting Allie and Emma do most of the talking and I'm just like jumping in with terrible jokes and questions because I don't know the the answers to any of these things. (laughs) No, I think that we're first and foremost, friends. And I hope that that comes across on the podcast that we talk about like highly technical things, but we have a lot of fun with it as well. And we learn a ton from each other. And it's just fun to like talk about these things in an in-depth format, which you don't necessarily get to do every day uh, if you don't have a podcast. And I think it's great to learn from other people as well. We do mostly podcasts that are just the three of us, but we do some that have guests as well. And we gear it towards developers at all stages in their career. So people who are just starting to code all the way through senior devs, like we hope that everybody can learn something from our episodes. I'm going to let Allie from now on do the marketing for 
talking yeah, about that's our pretty podcast. solid. That's and now pretty I'm solid. over here like word vomiting, and she is like the most poised. That's why you can tell she's a teacher. <laughs> Kelly, I am curious about this, the kind of topics and things that y'all talk about, because it is very technical. A lot of times code is very visual. Um, but you talk about this in an audio format. It is, has that been a challenge to find a way to talk about these things really in depth, but in a way that people can't see what you're talking about? I think in terms of some of our more technical topics that we've talked on or that we talked about in our show notes, when we're, when we're preparing an episode, we have charts and things like that all included. So we will kind of walk through what it is that we are looking at when we're talking through a chart. I think that both, again, I'm kind of leaning on Allie and Emma here to really talk through these things. And I think both of them do a really good job of being able to you know, explain in words what they're looking at picture-wise and even talking the most complex topics. They do a really good job of that. Emma, is there anything you wanted to add there? Perhaps it comes across easy to our listeners, but I have to tell you, like our CSS episodes, I got so incredibly frustrated with how I was trying to explain things that I made us like stop recording. And like, I think we actually re-recorded it because it was so painful for me personally. I got very frustrated because when you're trying to explain visual code to people, you can't. I mean, short of like like reading out the code verbatim and no one wants to listen to that. Um, I think one thing we try to do is supplement with blog posts when possible and also graphics. We create a lot of our own, gra- all of our own graphics using Sketch, which is a design tool. It might sound easy and that's the goal, but it's definitely frustrating sometimes. I think with anything, there's a balance of what goes into each form of instruction. And so in a podcast episode, people are going to need some additional resource to probably learn what we're talking about, like whether that be practicing the code themselves or going through something that is more visual. So I think our biggest goal is to give people foundational knowledge so that they know what a thing is and they have talking points on it. I think our episodes would be really great if you were preparing for an interview or something along those lines because that's more of a verbal format as well, similar to what we do. But then the other piece of it is getting people excited about things. Like why is GraphQL cool? Why are data structures and algorithms important? Like if we can get people excited about it so that they want to learn more and use the resources that we cite in our show notes, that's a huge part of our job, I think. And I think that's one of the key things there is the the resources that we link to in our show notes. So if we are talking through a blog post that has multiple charts or whatever, we include the link to that blog post on our show notes. So if you want to, you know, get further information and actually see what it is that we're talking about, we do provide that that context directly on our website. One of the things that I find really interesting about your show is that you're again kind of a technical people talking to a technical crowd, but you have a lot of I'll call them soft topics that you talk about too, job interviews, uh, resume building, kind of your personal like online CV, which is beginning to be really different than like what you send to an employer. Was that like conscious choice to have a lot of these kind of softer topics that you talk about? Or was it kind of driven by audience feedback? I think as we've always had it as a plan to cover both technical and less technical topics as well. Yeah. I mean, if you go back through my backlog of blog posts for the past two years, you'll see I did a lot of that soft teaching for a long time because it's just something that I'm really passionate about. So I think it just kind of came naturally. And we also didn't want people to get bored and or overwhelmed by the technical topics. So we tried to actually 
cycle between a technical topic and then a career or a non-technical topic and then potentially a guest episode. And if you look at our previous publishing published episodes, you'll notice that, oh yeah, we do tend to cycle between a super technical episode and then a non-technical episode and then a guest. Yeah, that makes sense. It would just, yeah, it'd be overwhelming to talk about, especially not just technical, but really something that you probably want to see and you only get a chance to talk about it in audio format. I like it. I'd like to t- hear about how you approach sponsorship. So you have information on your on your website about kind of sponsorship rates and things like that and, and a bit about your audience and, and who they are. But how does the sponsorship process work? If a company wants to sponsor your podcast, what does that look like? So most of the sponsors are reaching out to us directly ahead of time. Maybe they've listened to some of our podcast episodes and they think that what they're offering would be a good fit for us. So we don't do too much direct outreach when it comes to, hey, we're taking on new sponsors, things like that. We use, we'll we'll correspond via email to kind of walk through the entire process. I put together a contract for them to sign and we do require the payment 100% upfront as well. I think the the trickiest part comes in kind of uh, coordinating that when we have multiple sponsors sponsors buying for the same episodes. So it has to become like more of a a first come first serve basis when it comes to to actually signing people on. So if we have that signed contract, that sponsor gets that spot. I mean, we're very fortunate to be in a position where we're having multiple sponsors wanting to sponsor the same episode for sure. I want to also clarify that prior to accepting sponsors, Kelly, I think you were really proactive in trying to get a baseline analytic of our listenership so that we had something to gauge how much we should be charging. Like I think we actually told them to hold off for several episodes before we gave them pricing because we didn't want to undersell ourselves, which is a really good tip if you're going to be accepting sponsors is kind of maybe reach out to other podcasts who are accepting sponsors and ask them what they charge or do some research so you don't like short sell yourself. But also it's important to have that data before you just take on sponsors at your first episode. Absolutely. And when you're working with more corporate sponsors, they want to see that data at the end of it. They want to see the the measurable impact they had on sponsoring your podcast that you can say, all right, X number of people click through on each of these episodes over the course of Y dates. So having all that data available is definitely important. How did you put a number on the sponsorship rates that you arrived at? Is it kind of a CPM basis or did you just say this is what we think, uh, you know, exposure to our brand and, and our audience is, is worth to these people? It was a combination of, of being CPM based, doing research on what other uh, just like websites that kind of list the process of figuring out how much to charge and also just talking to other more established podcasts to see, you know, what it is they're charging. And they've been, you know, very open about their process and and how much it is that they are charging. We kind of found ourselves in an interesting position in that our, our podcast took off, I think, way faster than we were expecting it to. And we wanted to, be, you know, tread carefully when it came to actually setting those prices. I know other podcasters who have been, you know, recording their podcast for much longer and have way more listens than us who are charging half of what we charge. It's a very delicate balance. And I mean, this goes for, for pricing any kind of service. This is something that we deal with day to day on our on, on the agency side uh, for my company. It's a lot of trial and error. I also want to state that we have a combined total of over 200,000 followers. And at the time it was less, obviously, but now we also have to factor in our personal reach. So that's another thing is if you have an online presence above and beyond your listenership, factor that in because you ultimately will be marketing your own podcast. I would think that is a a reason your show has been successful or a a part of the reason, right? You have a reach of 200,000 and you're getting 
10 or 20 or 30,000 listens per episode. Some probably decent percentage of that is coming from your personal audiences. Do you think that's why the podcast has been so successful here like relatively early on? Oh, absolutely. We have we have our our combined following and our initial push to really thank for the fact that we we took off so quickly. I think there was a couple of things. That was definitely a big one. But I think the second is we didn't skimp on resources in the beginning. And I think that made a big difference. So for example, we bought music for our podcast. We paid for an editor. We paid for podcast motor. Like we invested in these things up front, especially the branding, right? Having consolidated and clean branding made a huge difference. And so I know not everyone is in the financial place to be able to do that. We were very privileged and fortunate to be in that position to put some money of our own in up front. And then hopefully we could get reimbursed further down the line with sponsorships. But I think having that from day zero really gave us an edge. Yeah. Plus we have experience with content marketing ourselves. So all three of us have some sort of other content that we put out there, whether that's blogging or Kelly has a newsletter and we all have social media presences as well. And so we do have that experience of figuring out how to grow a brand and what type of content normally sells. What do people normally want to read? Like We have pretty good estimates going into episodes. Like This one's going to be a really big episode. We're going to get a really high listenership on this. And when we're um, talking about episode topics for the year or for the season, because we are moving in seasons now, we will pick through them and say, this one is probably a little bit too specific. We need to niche out and that will make it so that we can get a higher listenership on this episode. Emma, I would like to come back to something you said about branding. And I think this is something that a lot of people, especially early on, struggle with. Whether they've had experience kind of defining a brand before or not, I think for a podcast, it's just different. (laughs) For a lot of us, it's the first time we've ever tried to brand a podcast. For folks out there who are just trying to figure this out or maybe just starting podcasting, what does branding a clean brand and branding your show mean? And what should folks think about? So I think the first is establishing the the name and your mission statement. What is your mission? Ours was to, I think, collaborate as a group of women in tech and just have fun and discuss the things that we're passionate about. So that was our mission. In terms of our name, it took us a while to get there, but Allie eventually suggested Ladybug Podcast. And to be honest, it took me a while to figure out what like the the, <laughs> the hidden meaning behind that. I was like, okay, I don't get it. It's a bug. So come up with a name, come up with a mission statement. And from there, I would suggest getting a logo. Um, you're going to want to get like a social media kit because you want expanded logo. You want like the consolidated logo. And once you've gotten that, we, we got ours on Fiverr. And I, I highly recommend Fiverr for those types of design assets. We also got our music there. But um, once you establish your brand through the visual design pieces and like the conceptual like mission statement, you want to go grab every single domain basically everywhere that you can. I think we tried Instagram, but it wasn't really our market. We stick to Twitter. We stick to... We have a GitHub now. We open source all of our stuff too. So grabbing all your domains, having a website, having these design logos, these are all really important. I want to add a little bit as well, as far as building out that brand in the on the non, you know, not so much design side, is building a persona of who it is that you want to be listening to your podcast. You know, knowing who you want your audience to be will help form the overall picture of how you should be branding your your podcast and how you should be marketing your podcast in terms of content. 
I'll throw in a resource I just came across for for the graphical side side of branding uh, is Hatchful. It's like a free tool by Shopify. It is amazing for generating logos. You just go in, it's this little wizard. You answer like six or seven questions and it gives you all of, you know, transparent, square, round, rectangle. It's really amazing. We're going to be rebranding Podcast Motor here soon. And so I got us a new logo completely for free and I ran it by one of our graphic designers and they're like, yeah, this is really good. I don't have much to add here. So that was really awesome. And it's at least like a, a good starting point. And then you can ship it over to a designer and say, hey, this is kind of what I was thinking maybe you can run from here. This is a really great tool. Yeah. They it's look trip, really modern right? too. Like yeah. a lot of the logo generators that I've seen in the past, like they kind of give you this outdated logo, but this is really modern. I, I love this. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. I'm going to rebrand our podcast logo to just be Leo podcast with a little airplane. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to dig into this online kind of persona and audience that you each kind of individually had before and now your show has one of its own because i think this is um building this up either as you're getting your show started or certainly if you can get it started before you launch a podcast it's helpful because then you have an audience to launch to but i think this is is kind of like a nascent thing for a lot of people to say hey i'm just going to quote have an online audience and i'm going to have a following and what the hell does that mean like how do you how do you go from like i want to start this to I have 200,000 people that follow me and my co-hosts. What is, for, for you three, how did you think about, and this goes back years, I'm sure, like how did you think about starting that and developing it and being intentional about each piece of it? We actually did an episode on this. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we did an episode on, on personal branding and I've done a blog post about my follower gaining. Um, I think that the high-level takeaways from that is A, don't focus on the numbers. I see so often people say like, I want to reach 2000 followers by the end of the year. And we did a whole book club episode on atomic habits, which I, this stems from that, but like stop focusing on the goal. Once you hit it, you're not going to be happy. Like focus on the skills that, and posting consistently and the followers will eventually come. So I'd say focus on producing great content and posting consistently and that will get you followers. Um, I think early on what I did is I did hashtag some things. I didn't do it a whole lot. Uh, and my growth happened in the span of one year. Mine happened really fast. I gained, I think, nearly 70,000 followers in just one year. This was due to posting consistently, interacting with people who commented on my blog posts. Um, it was also pure luck in a sense because I did have a lot of big people retweet me. So part of that was definitely luck. But yeah, I would say just don't focus on the numbers and eventually they will come. But I think all of us are kind of outliers to a certain extent because we had really fast growth. For me, my following actually mostly originally came through blogging instead of like social media. So I had a solid following through blogging first and then um, social media kind of came second to that once that had kind of taken off. And so people were finding me through that. And again, it, it was posting consistently and trying to put original content on each platform so people do have an incentive to follow you on those different spaces. And also just showing that you're a person because that's something that's important on social media is like your life outside of just promoting things all the time. So I show my dog a lot and all that. And it, I think it shows a more wholesome picture of, a, of an actual person instead of just a brand. 
I completely agree. I think that that level of transparency on both the positives and negatives, because we're always so focused on on putting ourselves in our best light on social media and, you know, talking about the negatives that are happening in our lives. Hey, I'm struggling with this or whatever it might be. I mean, it adds like a, that, that element of, of humanness to the person behind the, behind the social media photo. And I think that's something that really helped all of us really, really build up that following and build up our personal brand. How much time do you each put towards this kind of brand, personal brand building a week? So my my audience is kind of split a little bit. So there's the Kelly, the developer, making terrible developer jokes on Twitter kind of side of things. I don't really put any amount of like actual amount into that side of Twitter. It's just like I have a thought and I'm going to tweet it and occasionally just pull it up when I'm bored at work. The other side of it is Kelly, the entrepreneur, the agency runner, uh, works in, in direct-to-consumer and e-commerce. And that is a much more intentional audience I'm building. So tweeting daily about direct-to-consumer e-commerce and posting on LinkedIn every single day and writing the newsletter. I mean, I'm putting in at least, I'd say, three to four hours a week just on building up that audience and building up that identity. Ellie, is it similar for you? It's a pretty big time investment for me. I'm not going to lie. I have my own company now that's based off of what... I do with content creation. Um, and I also do like education consulting for startups on how they can build the best education tools into their their products, essentially. So what's the easiest way to teach people how to actually use your stuff? And so in between all of that and like the blogging, uh, I think building up a brand is important. I've definitely scaled off of it a little bit more recently, but traditionally it was a a lot of work and a a lot of hours each week that I would put into blogging and tweeting and all that. And Emma, similar for you? Uh, In the beginning, I would say I spent maybe like five to eight hours a day on Twitter, which was so (laughs) freaking ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah, it was a lot. But I mean, look how fast I grew at the same time because you're constantly like, what's the next joke I can push out? Or like, what's the next blog I'm going to write? And in the beginning, I was so motivated. And then Somewhere along the lines, I kind of realized that I wanted to stop oversharing my personal life on Twitter. And once that kind of happened, I scaled back a little bit. And once you build up enough of an audience, you're not pressured as much to keep posting. Um, so I would say probably once I hit around 20,000, I scaled back a lot. And now, I mean, I'll go days without posting and it's not a big deal. I'm only going to post if I find something useful. I won't just like post for the heck of it. So maybe now like three hours a week. I know on the podcast website on ladybug.dev, you have no like email opt-in forms or no email widget or anything like that. I'm sure this is an intentional kind of choice. Why no email? Yeah. So we when we started the podcast, we were actually, we did have a, a newsletter through MailChimp and we were basically sending, you know, a quick recap of what that week's episode was going to be. And I think that was part of the audience identification process and that we realized our audience is not reading emails. They're they're communicating with us via social media. So we were putting effort into a newsletter that nobody was really reading. We had pretty low open rates. So at that point, it just it didn't really make sense to continue to do that. Specific for the podcast on social media, are there things you're doing to try to kind of drive folks to like the podcast social media handles instead of your personal ones or or kind of attribute social media activity back to the podcast you mentioned hashtags you're using like hashtags for the podcast specifically or anything 
No, we're not using any hashtags. We, I think when we're, when we're talking about the podcast, we're talking about things related to the podcast. We try to tweet from the podcast account and then we retweet it. So we recognize that our personal brands are part of what's promoting the podcast as well. So I'm less concerned about the fact that, you know, if we're personally posting from our accounts, people are interacting with us uh, individually through our own tweets as opposed to through the podcast account. I think that's totally fine. I think we, we end up, you know, whether we get tagged or like mentioned in a tweet or the podcast gets mentioned in a tweet, we all have access to the Ladybug Twitter. So we can all pop in and look at the mentions there. And I don't think we're ever, you know, if, if there's something that's worth discussing internally from somebody's tweet, we discuss that internally as well. One of us will share that tweet so we can, you know, make sure we respond to it. If somebody says something really nice about the podcast or has a question that maybe is directed towards Allie, but Emma is more suited to actually answer the question. So I, I think this just the, the internal communication around that has been uh, helpful and, and less focused on and pushing people to talk to the, the Ladybug podcast Twitter account. Yeah, and I think on another meta note that kind of ties all of this together, something that we were really intentional about when we started was each of us having roles and things that we did. So uh, Kelly's an entrepreneur, and so she's really great at the business side of things, and so she handles that. So she handles sponsorships, she handles the tax stuff, all of the business side of things is Kelly. And then Emma's incredible at social media and branding and the visual side of things. And so she does that. She's incredible at putting messages out there and getting listeners to our platform. So she's in charge of that. And then I'm like type A to the max. And so I do a lot of the logistical stuff of sending to the editor and um, uploading onto um, our site, which we generating our show notes and our transcripts and all that. So I think that we balance out really well. And that's one of the really nice things about having three hosts is that we can kind of distribute the work through, through us and really do what we are best at. I think that's a really important point to make, especially if you're, if you're co-hosting a podcast with anybody, treat it as a job, treat it as, as starting a company, have specific, like, we actually wrote out what our job titles are and the roles that fall under that job title. So there was never any confusion about who should be doing what. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I think that the best part of these kind of things, whether it's for a business or a podcast or a you know, local group you're putting together, it clarifies everything. And so there's no, yeah, but hey, I thought this six months from now when the podcast is really successful or when your business takes off, if you have everything in writing, even if it's not official or signed or everything, it can just be an email to say, hey, this is what we agreed on. We just chatted these, we're going to do this and you're going to be responsible for this. And I'm going to do that. It's all in paper. So you can go back and reference it later. And there's no questions or ambiguity around it. Right. Yeah. Well, I would say just make sure everyone knows how to do every other job. Like the only thing I don't think I could do is physically pay our people. Like I don't, I probably could if I got access to our accounts, but like that's the one thing I wouldn't feel comfortable doing is physically paying people. But in terms of responding to emails, in terms of getting an episode ready for a publish, like we try to make these things transparent. So if one person is on vacation, they don't have to work. I think, Emma, you mentioned the book club before in James Clear's uh, Atomic, Atomic Habits. I just finished it recently, and it's a great book. But um, I'd love to hear how the book club idea came about. I think we always just joked about like, oh, I should start a book club because I wouldn't stop talking about Atomic Habits. And I think that was our first book, wasn't it? It was our first one. And then we were like, you know, it's like, let's do it. Let's just do a book club. And then we got like almost 300 followers in our Goodreads group. And I was like, that was exciting for us, 300 
there doesn't seem like a lot, but it kind of is. <laughs> I don't know. We kind of just decided to go for it. So we picked three books and we just went for it. I think that's the whole story. It's not that exciting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we spent a lot of time mentioning different books during the podcast episodes. So it, I, and we, the three of us are all pretty avid readers as well. So I think it was a, a pretty easy transition to be like, hey, now instead of just talking about random books on the podcast, let's like really have a conversation about some of these books. Yeah. I listened to the um, Bad on Paper podcast, which has a book club monthly. And so I was really inspired by that format. And honestly, it's like one of my favorite things that we do because it leads to such an engaged audience that these people are reading a book alongside of us and we're all talking about our conclusions from that book. And even as standalone episodes, I think that they facilitate us talking about different topics than we normally would on the podcast normally. Like being a woman in tech, that was something that our Invisible Women episode really allowed us to do without making an episode that standalone all about that. And same thing with Atomic Habits is it allowed us to talk about productivity, which maybe doesn't fit traditionally under our umbrella, but I think it was a really great episode for our, our listeners to experience. Ellie, what is that listener engagement look like? So you, you're, you're doing the Atomic Habits book. It's the topic for this episode, you know, book club for this month. When you have dialogue with listeners and your audience, what, is that, what does that look like in real life? Yeah. So at the beginning of the month, we'll announce the book. I think that we actually have them up on our website a couple months in advance too, because this is something that we uh, pre-plan, but we'll make sure to post on social media that this is what we're reading this month. And then we have a Goodreads group. Again, I would rather almost be a Goodreads influencer than anywhere else (laughs) on the internet. (laughs) We're big, big, big fans of reading. Like All of us, I think, have goals in the 50s for reading books this year. Wow. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think all of us are like pretty far along too. I no, think it was, that like, was low for me though. Like I set it to 50 and I'm like, I want to get to a hundred and I've, <laughs> I've read 18 so far this year. So I'm like, I want to get to a hundred. <laughs> yeah. I'm at 12 so far this year. So not quite at Emma's rate, but I'm still like way ahead of well, I don't have, I don't have a lot of friends or anything. So, you know, <laughs> Yeah. And so then we have a Goodreads group and on there we can have kind of a book club and have a forum for the different books that we're reading. And we facilitate discussion with um, the people that are on there and it's, it's really fun. And we'll put their quotes into the episodes as well. Um, But then also publishing the episodes when we are done finishing the book, we'll normally record those right at the end of the month and put them out as soon as we record them. I think it's really great, both as like a standalone, and thing, but also integrated into the the larger ecosystem of our podcast. One thing, and I feel really old saying this. I'll be forty in May, and I feel really old saying this. But all of this focus on third party platforms, Twitter and Goodreads, and you know Spotify, even as like a kind of self contained podcasting platform, makes me really nervous. Where tools like email is something that is like mine, right? Like my email list is my email list and Twitter is not going to take it away from me or anything. Does that concern y'all? And, and is there anything you try to do to to kind of hedge your bets there? Or am I just paranoid? I think we, I mean, we, we maintain ownership over everything that we have. Um, I, I'm not really too concerned when it comes to, you know, 
okay, yeah, if, if Twitter shuts down, you know, what happens to our podcast audience? Thankfully, we have a lot of people who are already subscribed to it. And I think that if Twitter shuts down, we have a lot more to worry about than, yeah. than keeping the podcast running. So yeah, I mean, in, in, in terms of like email, for example, again, and other podcasts that have like a, a different kind of audience, we our, our audience does trend to be uh, slightly younger as well. You know, we're talking to them where they want to communicate with us. For other podcasts, if their if their audience is more geared towards communicating via email, uh, you know, I know plenty of other podcasters who are very dedicated to sending those uh, those newsletters and communicating via Facebook and you know other places. Just it really just depends on where your audience is. Yeah, and for me personally, I have focused on balancing out that audience and making sure that it exists cross-platform so that if it Twitter did shut down, I still have my personal audience. I think we've thought about it less for the podcast itself, but we have done things like marketing on Reddit and um, other niche sites like DevTune, Alpha, which are awesome sites that are more geared towards a technical audience. But for me personally, I have made sure that I have a solid audience across different platforms. And so, you know, there's like the public Twitter, which I think I'm at like 65,000 or something like that. And then um, Dev too, which I'm like 40,000. And then my email list, which is like 12,000. And so I try to make sure that I do have my audience across different platforms. But I think we've thought about it a little bit less for the podcast. Last question. Is there anything that you would, aside from kind of your personal brands, is there anything that you've done kind of proactively with promoting the podcast that you think has been particularly effective at kind of reaching new listeners? I think engaging in general with the with the audience on you know again we're we're on Twitter you know being very intentional about communicating with the, our listeners you know they're you know with the, with the the algorithms other people are going to see your tweets if you're interacting with another brand and that will you know generate that kind of growth that way um, a little bit more organically without actually having to invest any money in there um, we. Are intentional, especially Emma is really good at this, uh, about tweeting things that are going to be questions where people are actually going to respond to those and just, just intentionally putting out that engaging content. Yeah, we also do for most of our episodes blog posts that go along with that episode and publish that on again Dev2, but we're thinking about doing our own platform as well so that people are driven to our site through that and like have our SEO through that. We also do like our transcripts for that as well in hopes that that um, may help drive an audience as well. But uh, having those blog posts that go along with the episode and really are just reformatted versions of what we said in the episode. It doesn't take a huge amount of time on our end, but it does make it so that our content is hitting another audience and hopefully it draws them into listening to the full episode. So what's next for the Ladybug podcast? We have some pretty cool things planned, but we are not ready to speak about those yet. We're, you know, we're just going to continue to to put out quality content, put out some really great episodes, have some awesome guests on our podcast. We have some, uh, we just lined up what we're doing for season three and it's going to be a really great season. Very cool. Kelly, Allie, and Emma from the Ladybug podcast. This is really awesome. I took a, a ton away from this, but uh, thank you very much for sharing all the wonderful stuff you're doing with our audience as well. For folks who want to kind of learn more and, and check out what you're up to, what's the best place? I think that you can reach out to us through Twitter. It's probably going to be the most prompt response. Uh, and that's just Ladybug Podcast. Or you're welcome to send us an email at hello at ladybug.dev. 
Awesome. Thank you all very much. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.